Hi, everybody. This is Robert Miller. Welcome once again to the world premiere of my new album, Bobby M and the Paisley Parade. This is the fifth and final episode of the rollout of the album and features the last two songs, Chasing the Light and What Can I Say? And I have a special guest in this episode, Lou Holtzman, a terrific recording engineer with Eastside Sound in New York City. Lou is my engineer as well as my sounding board on Bobby M. And I've worked with Lou on all my albums since the first one, Child's Play, in 1994. Lou has worked with a who's who of musicians, including singer John Lucien, pianist Kenny Barron, and trumpeter Randy Brecker, to name just a few. So Lou Holtzman, welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast, baby. Hello, Robert. Wonderful to see your pretty face. You know, Lou and I go back a long way. We actually grew up together in the county of Queens in New York City, separated by only one block. But he was a little bit older and a lot cooler than me. He had like the hot rod and he had the leather jacket. And, you know, I just followed in his wake. Now, you were cooler because you invited me to your basement to hear Sergeant Pepper. All right. There's a rumor that you've been spreading for years about this Sergeant Pepper. It's thing. true. I remember your basement. <laughs> you were the one who played Sergeant Pepper for me. All right. Well, I'm glad that you give me that credit. <laughs> now, you started East Side Sound way back when. I think it was 1972. Am I right? Yeah, in 1969, in my old tenement, my family tenement on Orchard Street on the Lower East Side, I had an opportunity to dig out a corner of the second floor and go to Murray's Rug Shop on Essex Street, and he was throwing out all his rug samples, and I stapled them up, and I had a place to rehearse. So in 69, it started Lou Drummer, then Lou Go Behind the Glass, because you know how to run a tape deck. On 72, I got serious in my own little way back then and uh, put the name down in city hall. So 72 was the beginning of East side sound. It's a whole different world when you go back then. All right. <laughs> Give us a short, you know, lesson in what the difference is in doing a studio back in the seventies versus now. Okay. When I started, I had a two track Sony and I had uh, eight microphones. So you had to, <laughs> know how to use the equipment to blend everybody live, like doing a live performance. You didn't have, then four channels came out and heavens be, I mean, we can go crazy. Then eight channels came and as time went on, you know, it got easier because you can record separate channels. But back then it was a challenge. You had to know how to mix the music live. The musicians didn't have, <laughs> they had no visual cutting, pasting. It was what you see is what you get. This was before the Phillips cassette. So I go so far back that I thought when the cassette came out, I said, everyone's going to take that record and make 20 cassettes. And so this is what it comes down to. I always say, I just walk in the control room and I turn on that little tiny switch and Pro Tools, digital audio comes up. Back in the day, tuning, tape decks, cleaning, tape, everything, everything, so much more than it is today. Isn't it remarkable 
when you think about this. Now, you started in the late 60s, and I keep thinking back to how the Beatles recorded, okay? It was prehistoric in a sense with the four-track machine and bouncing, you know, tracks from one side to the other side. Unbelievable. I mean, you know, they had three channels to back when it started, and... You know, they have to go from machine to machine to get this, that, and go back. And the more you go from machine to machine, you get hiss, analog tape hiss. They, George Martin, all, everyone back then had such skills, such skills to create Sgt. Pepper on four-channel tape decks. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Well, listen, one of the great things about recording with you at Eastside is that you specialize, and I love it, the idea being that we record the band live. Because there's a lot of music these days that's recorded instrument by instrument, and that to me was never the great way to do it. I would rehearse the band as much as possible. We'd go into your studio, you'd get everything set up, and maybe we would do two or three takes of each song. But you really have to be talented as an engineer to capture that live sound. Well, that was the pleasure of working with you. <laughs> you, know, you had a band, you had always brought great musicians and you were rehearsed. And that's the way it was supposed to be. You do it. And back then you didn't have a two terabyte SSD drive that could hold enough two inch tape that would fill Empire State Building. I mean, you can do multiple takes. Back then, you know, you'd say, can we do a second take? Another roll of tape, $120, you know? Uh, you had to have your you-know-what together to do a good session. And you were always, you carried that tradition on, you know, from the analog into the digital age. It was always a pleasure to record with you. Let's talk about Bobby M., the new album, and in particular, the two songs that we're talking about in this episode. Chasing the Light was a song, you know, when you do an album, you never know how the reviewers are going to look at it. You just don't know. And I put out the album for reviews in advance. And what came back was they loved Chasing the Light. They call it the star single on the album. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> we worked very hard on it. It was wonderful. Yes, we did work very hard on it.
It was one of those tracks where I decided that I wanted to, you know, in a sense, do a message, okay? Because the album is all about love. It's all about relationships. That's what I wanted to write about. It's a 60s-oriented album. And Chasing the Light, for me, was a song about optimism, okay? Because part of the lyrics is chasing the dark from the light you know, trying to get rid of people's negativity, depression, the downside that we were all experiencing, of course, during the pandemic. <laughs> oh, yeah, we were experiencing. But <laughs> thank God, Robert Miller, <laughs> he said, I'm going to start singing my heart out. And you you were up there working, working, sending. If you look at my emails, <laughs> It's an endless list of tracks going back and forth. You worked very hard and and you uh, ended up doing all the vocals. It was it was fun. It was great. I was watching it happen. I was happening. I mean, chasing the light, chasing it. I remember it all. I have that crease in my brain of all your songs. <laughs> you know, as, as Lou was just saying, one of the great things about recording these days is that each time we did a take or a draft of anything, he would be able to email it to me. I would listen to it. And I always listen to all the music, Lou knows this, on my iPhone. Why? Because I remember back in the day when Phil Spector and those guys used to listen to their music on these little, you know, imitation transistor radios, because that's the way all the kids were going to listen to the songs. And for me, I said to myself, okay, we can listen on million-dollar speakers in Lou's studio, but I know that most people are going to listen to the music on their iPhones. So I want to make sure it sounds right in that context. It's an earpod world. I, you know, <laughs> we, we record at ridiculous sample rates, 35,000 vintage Neumann microphones. And uh, when you put those little earpods in, you know, you're getting real close to hearing the proximity, the bass effect, and it's it's good. I mean, I wish everyone had zillion-dollar speakers at home, but they don't, and it's working well. All right, let's do the next song. This is What Can I Say?
this song it was an interesting story because I wrote it with verses, but I decided after I heard it that I didn't like the verses. So I said to Lou one day, I said, let's just take out the verses. Let's do the little introduction and then let's do the uh, the chorus. And that's what we did. And in the middle, we had what I call like a, a, a battle between the keyboards and the guitar, which to me was like Bruce Hornsby meets the Allman Brothers. <laughs> and I love the back and forth that went between our, our keyboard player, which is Baden Goyo, and our guitar player, Tristan Clark. And then you suggested in the midst of all of this, well, let's let's just bring back that chorus again in the middle of this whole thing. And it just turned into such an interesting arrangement, didn't it? Oh, yes, it sure did. You always had lots of uh, good ideas and you were strict on a lot of things and you gave me something. <laughs> I'm so happy. <laughs> no, but seriously, I, it, it did work well. And, and as soon as you heard it, you knew it would work well. It was... It just was meant to be like that. The song really came together. All right. Well, listen, it's been a pleasure to work with you all of these years. I want to thank you so much for all the work that you did to make Bobby M into such a great album. We've been speaking here with Lou Holtzman of East Side Sound, where I have lived musically for a number of years, and I hope I continue to live there. Can I say one other thing? Of course. Am I allowed to call you Bobby? <laughs> <laughs> of That's course you are. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you in the next episode.